And a hush went over the crowd. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Good morning. What's up, Dave? Good to see you. Woo! Uh, fantastic to be here, to be gathered in this room, out in the plaza, online. Welcome. My name is Matt. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to. I'd love to do that after the service. Uh, just So, yeah, I just love these mornings. I love the, the honor and the privilege that it is to come and share with you guys. Uh, as Ryan mentioned, we are in part two of a little two-part little series uh, called Let's Get Real. We're going to get real this morning. Careful, it's going to get real here. Uh, our friend John Lynch last week kicked us off. How many of you guys were here for that? How good, how good was that? Come on, do it. So encouraging, so refreshing. If you guys haven't had the chance to listen to that yet or to watch it, please, please go back and do that. And if you didn't get a chance to check out his book, On My Worst Day, man, it's, it's an amazing book. It's amazing. So it was so rad having him uh, with us last week. I, you know, I was, I was reflecting on his message, and he was talking a lot about this idea of grace in the context of relationships. I, mean, I felt within myself, I, mean, I just feel like I, I had this longing to experience environments of grace. I really had this, uh, this desire, this craving to cultivate a community that is defined by Jesus, by the aroma of grace, where you just walk in, you're like, man, I don't know what it is, but this is different, and I like it. Where there's, there's a sense and a smell of, of safety, a place where it's, people are real. It's a safe place for, for people who don't have it all together. That's what I, I, that's what I long for. Have you ever felt that? We're a place where you're supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to have it all figured out. Man, that this place could be a place for people who don't have it all together. We talk about this idea of being real, right? And we, we admire people who are real with us. Nobody, none of us, will, will, will uh, have ever said, I would think, man, dude, I love, I love how fake he is. It's rad. Oh, it's so encouraging how just, how fake how much she can hide her real stuff. No one ever says that. No one says like, oh, dude, it's amazing. He's so, I love it. He's so good at hiding what's really going on. It's rad. No, we don't say that. We know we intrinsically know there is something good. There is something powerful. There's something refreshing. There's something healthy about us being able to be real with one another. And the thing is, of course, of course it's risky, Right? It's pretty risky to be real, but which is why we appreciate it when people take that risk and they trust us. We appreciate it. And I think deep down, all of us, we all gravitate towards those relationships where we are able to be real. We gravitate towards the relationships where we don't need to pretend, where we don't need to bluff, where it's actually okay and safe to be a work in progress. Have you ever felt that? I know I feel that at times where it's like, I feel like I'm, I can't be a work in progress. I can't be still figuring this stuff out. I have to have it all kind of neatly compartmentalized. I have to understand my, my faith and my, uh, my ability to be a good parent or my marriage or friends like, or what I believe about what's going on in life, in the world. I have to have it all figured out. I can't be in progress. But what about those places where we're, it's safe? To be, it's okay and it's safe to be a work in progress. We gravitate towards those. We gravitate towards 
places where it's safe to be real. What does it mean to be real? There's probably several ways to talk about that, but what I would say is to be real, it means it's to allow trusted others to, to be on the receiving side of your heart. It's, it's when those people, when your heart can be expressed. It's allowing trusted others to see and hear our feelings, our needs, our longings, our hopes, our desires. It's inviting trusted companions into our fears, into our failures, into our sin, into our shame. You know all that stuff that we obsessively try to hide and deny and minimize and filter and edit out? All of that stuff. It's when we invite people into that, not so that they could fix us, but that we wouldn't have to hide. So what gives? I mean, that's, I think I could speak for most people. We, we, yes, it's risky, it's scary, but we do long for that. We long for these environments of grace. But it seems like what, at least what we're much more acquainted with is hiding, bluffing, pretending, living life with the proverbial cards close to our chest. Don't want anyone to see what's really going on. Seems like we're much more acquainted with that. So how, how then do we cultivate this place of safety? How do we cultivate relationships where we can be real? How do we create, cultivate environments of grace where grace is not just this theology that we learn about? You see, there, we can we can uh, hear countless sermons on the topic of grace. We could read countless books. We could listen to all kinds of podcasts about grace. We sing songs about grace. Grace, 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 it's so amazing. But here's the thing. Grace isn't, first and foremost, just information for us to know. It's a way of life that we were created and designed to experience. So whether you realize it or not, you do. You crave this way of life called grace. And grace ultimately is a person. It's a way of life, and Jesus is that person. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I love how John described an environment of grace last week. This will be up on the screen here. It says, the objective is not to build communities appearing to have sin under control. The objective is to nurture a place where people can stop faking that they have sin under control, where they can come out of hiding and let others in to their sin and failure. And it is there that sin loses power and we can be healed, trusting Christ's redemption, his forgiveness and repentance. It's messy, but utterly healthy. So I think this is what we are trying to cultivate here as a community. To put it in different words, I'd say this. We are seeking to cultivate a community that is together, risking to believe this ridiculous ridiculous thing called grace and is trying on this radically new identity where we step, albeit, yes, it's going to be clumsy, we step clumsily into trusting relationships where the goal isn't to fix, but that nothing needs to be hidden. And I truly believe, like, as we do this, as we, we discover, when we come out of hiding and grace is experienced, it's expressed, that we actually do begin to experience healing in those places. And I, I truly, truly, I do believe and I really want to believe that this is not just some pipe dream. This is not some just positive thinking. Oh, this would be so great if this was true. This is not just some pipe dream. No, this is actually 
this is ours. This way of life is ours, and it's available to us right here, right now. I love the message that John gave us last week, and today what I want to do is I want to build on that, and I want to build on that by asking a question. The question is this, what is it that you and I need to believe about God and ourselves that will free us to be real with one another? Because here's the thing, what we do believe about God, it's all, I believe it's connected. What we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, it will have an effect on the way that we relate to one another. And so in the short time that we have together, what I want to do is I just want to share just a few truths that have helped free me and fuel me to begin to trust others with the real me. This is all stuff that I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still a, a work in progress. Because I, man, I have lived much of my life hiding, pretending, bluffing. That's me. And I've had, the Spirit had to teach me truths to kind of woo me out. Like, Matt, it's safe. It's safe. He said to teach me these truths to woo me out of hiding to where I can begin to lean in to trust people with me. And so what I want to do today is I just want to share a few of these liberating, life-giving truths that I need to be reminded, oh, reminded with over and over and over again so that I don't slip back into hiding. So God, this morning, would you use our time together, God, by your word, by your spirit, would you press into us deeply, God, the love that you have for us, the truth of who you are, of who we are in you. God, would that set us free to live these lives expressing your grace to one another. God, may it go beyond buzzwords today. May it go beyond just words that we've heard, things that we've talked about, but you would do something special here today. Spirit, press in deep. Awaken us to these truths in new, fresh, liberating ways. In your name, amen. So what is it that we need to believe? What is it that we need to believe about God and ourselves in order to free us to be real with one another. Just for funsies, little funsies, I'm actually going to tell you the answer to that question so that, so that you know. I'm just going to, we're going to put it on the screen. I want you to see my end game here, okay? Uh, just like in math class back in the day, you get the odd answers in the back of the book. You know, this is the, the back of the book, but then we're going to spend some time unbreak, uh, breaking it down and showing our work. Okay, so as we come to understand and trust God's once-for-all forgiveness— and our new Christ-fused identity, we realize that we don't need or even want to hide. Our heart then becomes accessible, whereby allowing us to give and receive love. And that's a long sentence, but we're just going to spend some time breaking that down. And just a quick disclaimer here, I am not intending to be exhaustive. I'm not trying to present you with a formula. Just do this and this and then this will happen. This is not formulaic. It's not exhaustive. This is stuff I'm still learning. Again, stuff that I'm not here up, I'm not standing up here today as a professional who has mastered this. I'm a fellow practitioner with you in need of the same grace, with the same same heart and desire to, to live lives open, to be real with one another. And so, again, I've had, the, the Spirit's had to teach me these things in order to woo me out of my own tendency to be fake. Uh, okay, so what I want to do is say, I want to use this and kind of identify a couple barriers that there are to being real. A couple barriers. 
So the first barrier that we have here, barriers to being real with God and others, is not understanding or trusting our once-for-all forgiveness. Those of you who have lived in San Diego for a while now, you might remember this. Back in the 90s, dude, the 90s were great, weren't they? So cool. Okay, back in 1998, there was a local radio station who had a contest, and it was a contest that took place down in Mission Beach on the Belmont Park roller coaster. Okay, I thought it was called the Battle of the Butts. It's actually called Whirl Till You Hurl. Okay, and what they did was they identified 22 contestants to come aboard and to ride this roller coaster all day long, and the last person sitting, <laughs> the last person would win 50 grand. Okay, this, was, this is not one of those like cool, like nicely designed roller coasters. This thing's like made of wood. It's sketchy. It's, you ride it and you go see a chiropractor. That's this, that's this ride, okay? You guys have been on these wooden roller coasters before? Okay, 14 and a half hours a day. They were able to take 90-minute breaks in order to take care of some business, have a meal, and they had to sleep in the roller coaster car with no pillow. Okay, this, they signed waivers. They, they knew what they were getting into. Okay, 22 contestants. After, after two weeks, how many were left? Do you guys know? Do you think it lasted two weeks? How many of you think it lasted two weeks? More than two weeks? Okay, if you remember, it was 10 weeks long. Okay, 10 weeks over and over again. About half, after two weeks, half of the people had left, and there was literally came down to five people who wrote it for 10 weeks long. And they ended, they ended up splitting the money. <laughs> It, I was looking up some of these articles. I'm like, I remember this thing. Whirl till you hurl, okay? They, the, the, there's these reports of like all these lawsuits that came out afterwards. These people had long-term physical condition, like psychological impairments. This was damaging to these people. There was one, one contestant who, like the, his greatest fan, like they ended up getting married, so that's a positive story. But other than that, everyone had this, everyone was traumatized, being on this ride. Whirl till you hurl. Before I understood my forgiveness, that was me. That was my relationship with God. You see, it was a roller coaster. It was up and down, up and down, over and over and over again. It was the roller coaster of performance-based Christianity. One day, feeling great. Man, I did some good stuff today. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling clean. I'm feeling close to God. The next day, ugh, I blew it. Feeling depressed, feeling dirty, feeling distanced from God. It was over and over again. Okay, I'm going to confess that. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry for what I did. And here's the thing. That the, what I did was that, that was the thing I promised to God last time that I wouldn't do. So that made it even worse because now I feel like a fraud. Who am I? I said, I'm sorry, but here I am. Sin, I, I, oh, I feel bad. I, okay, I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to plead for forgiveness. Oh, man, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to, oh, I got to, you know, I, I, there was, I'm going to journal. Oh, there was one time I even cried. I cried. Yeah, that was good. So, I, God, he's, he's got to see these tears. He's got to know that I'm serious this time. I beg and plead for forgiveness. And only when I actually felt forgiven, did I allow myself to believe I was back in the good graces 
of God. It was a roller coaster and not a fun one. It actually caused and can cause serious damage. You see, I wanted to get off. I was so tired of it. I wanted to get off, but I felt like I, I can't. I need that prize. I need forgiveness. Well, if, if that's you this morning, I want to remind, tell you what the Father invited me to believe, invited me to do, was to get off the ride. Get off. Get off this ride. See, God is not playing games with you and I. He actually... He actually wants us to know that we are forgiven. You know, we think that it could, you know, he could play it like, ah, do you know, do you think you're forgiven or not? I don't know. Why don't you show me something? Like, no, no, he actually wants us to know that we are forgiven. And he wants us to know that his forgiveness is not just a little sprinkle. It's a once for all forgiveness. Once for all forgiveness. Not little by little. There's a big difference. Let's, let's talk about that. I want you to imagine... Your favorite restaurant, pricey, I'm sure. You go to this restaurant and you just eat your, your heart out. You're just like, oh, and you just run up this huge, huge tab. You're like, all right, and then the bill finally comes to your table and you, you're like, all right, sweet. And you, you, oh man, I forgot my wallet. Oops. Okay, 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 here we go. You pull out a napkin and you get your pen. Okay, and you write your little note, say, I am so sorry. I forgot my wallet. I feel so bad. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> Bye. All right, let's go. I mean, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. Why? I mean, you might even be you might even be completely sincere. You might even be super heartfelt. Your letter might have been like, "Oh, this is so great. I even added a little heart. I just oh, I want them to know how sorry I am." But the restaurant doesn't want your apology. They want your money. Why? Because we live in a money-driven economy. A money-driven economy, not an apology-driven one. You see, the tab that we run up, the debt that we have, it isn't resolved with an apology or even a confession, but with cash or credit. It's resolved with money, monetary means. So the question is, well, what kind of economy does God have? What kind of economy does he have? Because it's important for us to know this, right? I mean, how does our debt get paid for? How does the insurmountable tab of sin, all of our rebellion and disobedience, how does that get dealt with and paid for? In other words, how are we forgiven? Well, in the same way that the restaurant deals with a money-based economy and the debt is paid through monetary means, did you know God set up a blood-based economy. A blood-based economy. If you just look through your Bible all the way back to Genesis 3, it's a lot of sin that's happened since then. Do you know the only way that God has ever dealt with sin was with blood? Not with apologies, remorseful, regretful feelings. I mean, that's not, it's not bad to have remorse and to regret, you know, feel bad for the, our sin. That's just not the currency that God accepts. That's not how sin gets paid for. The writer of Hebrews, he put it this way. 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, our sin is not paid for through confession, through apology, through super sincere and beautifully crafted words. No, it's not dealt with by feeling really, really, really bad. No, Scripture is clear. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, period. But thankfully, there was blood that was shed, and that blood was not our own. It was the blood of Jesus. And he died how many times? Once. Once. Once for all. You see, forgiveness, as you look back, it's actually really fascinating to look through the Old Testament and you see all of these shadows and these pictures of, of the greater reality that comes in the person of Jesus. But you see these shadows and the forgiveness all throughout the Old Testament. It was, it was little by little, dose by dose. It was day after day, year after year, for kind of forgiveness, little by little. And Jesus shows up and he offers forgiveness once for all. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to say this. He said, and by that will, in Hebrews 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest, uh, when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his foot, footstool, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So you think about it, Jesus is not up in heaven, dying over and over and over and over for our, each sin that you and I commit. And by the way, I mean, you've heard this before, but Every sin that you have committed, that I have committed, that we will commit, all of our sin, the, the, the small ones, the medium ones, the big ones, all of that was in the future when Christ died. It was all in the future when Christ died. All of our sin, your tall, your grande, your venti sins, the ones that you have not yet even committed, the ones in your future, those ones too, and all of the ones that you can't even remember, all of those ones too. And so if Jesus is not up in heaven dying over and over and over and over again, we're not down on earth trying and pleading and begging to get more forgiven. You see, the wages of sin is death. Jesus shed his blood. It is finished. So now, check this out. Allow this to sink in. If, if you are in Christ, you've trusted Christ. If he is in you, you are as forgiven right here, right now, as you ever will be. There's no last minute little, little squeegee clean, a little spot up before you walk into the gates of heaven. You're as forgiven right now as you ever will be. You're either forgiven or you're not. This is not a, a both and. This is an either or. And if you are in Christ, you are as forgiven right here, right now, as you ever will be. But, amen. 
but I don't feel forgiven. I, don't, I just, I, ah, I feel dirty. I don't feel forgiven. Well, I am so thankful that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a fact that we can bank on. It's not a feeling. We don't have to wait to feel forgiven. We're invited by the Father, invited by Christ, to trust in the fact of our forgiveness. And now what's cool is that when we sin, and we will because we do, when we sin, we can confess that to God without fear of punishment. We can confess it, and confession is just really, it's agreeing with God. It's agreeing with Him. And a simple little trilogy to remember, three T words, thank, turn, trust. I can confess it, and I can thank God. God, thank you so much for your once-for-all forgiveness. Whether I feel forgiven or not, I am choosing to, to bank everything on the fact of my forgiveness. Thank you so that my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, that you do not deal with me on account of my sin. Thank you so much for your forgiveness. I can thank, I can turn. Man, I was heading this way. I thought sin would please. I thought I would be, I was, ugh. I got deceived to believe that that, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from my sin so that sin will not reign in my life, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the dwelling spirit to lead and guide, to give me new, give me wisdom for new ways to walk and to act. I'm going to thank, turn, trust. But as far as forgiveness goes, guys, we, we got to know, it is, it really is finished. It's finished. We don't need to hide from God. We don't need to live on that roller coaster. It's not whirl till you hurl, okay? We can get off that. We don't have to earn this prize of forgiveness. We can stay off that ride that has no end, and we can live in light of the fact of our forgiveness. So that's one barrier that's been powerful for me to know in order to, to, to liberate freedom, to be real with people. I need to know that like, the guilt, the shame, all of that is covered, it's taken care of. The next barrier that gets in the way of us being real with one another is not understanding or trusting our new Christ-fused identity. You see, we have to know that we are new. We have to know that we are new. I know that uh, when we talk and make a big deal about forgiveness, it can oftentimes seem as like, okay, we're, if we're all just forgiven, then what's stopping us from just going out and setting world records for sin? Isn't that a dangerous message to preach? If we just talk about forgiveness, aren't you just, okay, you're forgiven. <laughs> okay, uh, and th it feels dangerous to let people just know, okay, they're forgiven. They can do whatever they want. And in Romans 6, Paul addresses this. He says, should we just go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. And I encourage you to, to go and read through his reasoning in Romans 6. But here's the, here's the, I'm going to bottom line it for you. We have to know that we're new. We have to know that we're new. You've heard, that around, you've heard this around here before, and John alluded to it last week. But I'm going to ask this question. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself fundamentally as a saved sinner or as a saint who sins? Now, I'm not asking, what do you think is the right answer? You know, what's the right? I'm asking for you, as you live your life, in daily life, what is your, what is your functional, like, where do you live from functionally in daily life? Which of those identities is your functional 
identity in daily life? Do you operate from the assumption that at, I am at my core, oh, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner. I'm dirty. I'm, I'm I, I, oh, at my core. That's the way I am. Or is at the core, I am a saint. I am holy. I am righteous. I am perfect. I am united to Jesus. You see, the term saint, really, it means holy. It means one reserved, set apart from God. And I know that in many of our, perhaps our faith traditions, we're like, we don't like feel, feel very comfortable calling ourselves a saint. You know, oh yeah, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Like, introduce myself as a, no, no. It, feel, it might feel a little weird. Uh, we rather just use, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, or I'm saved, right? That's, that just feels a little, <laughs> a little better. But did you know that the New Testament, after the cross, the, the primary way that Christians are described are as saints. It's a 60 plus times that Christians, after the cross, I mean, they were referred to as saints. Okay, but I still sin. I still sin. I, 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 I know what I'm thinking right now. I know what I did. Oh, I still have I still the struggle. I, I have to be a sinner still. I'm still, I still sin. Doesn't that make me a sinner? Well, right, if that's us, we're confusing identity with activity. You and I are not what we do. You and I are not what we do or what we don't do. We're not sinners because we sin. No, no. what the biblical story is is that we are born sinners. That apart from Christ, we are born sinners in Adam, with his nature that we inherited from him. So you see that being a sinner is not first and foremost a behavior problem. It is a birth problem. We don't behave our way into a new identity or out of an identity. We don't behave our way. We have to be born into it. And that's what we talk about when we talk about being born again, right? To be born again, or in John 3, in the born of the Spirit. You see that it is, if there's one thing you take away from this section, is like, just think, it is birth, not behavior, that determines identity. We have to re reconcile that. We have to, to come to a place like, am I, who am I at my core? And here's the thing, this change, or this new identity is not first and foremost a changed life. No, 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 before, long before that, it is an exchanged life. Sure, we get saved and there's growing, there's maturing, there's learning, there's, probably, there's that, but at the core, what salvation is is not a changed life, it's an exchanged life. It's not a new and improved, upgraded version of the old. No, it's anyone who is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And we have to know that we are new, we have to know that it's not just a change that's, that, or I'm, I'm changing, that, but no, there's been an exchange. I love it. In Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
He's describing there's an exchange that's taken place. And so you and I at the core, there, there's been an exchange. The old, is, the old us is dead, buried, and gone. The new you is someone who has been fused and united to Christ. And so the Christian life is not a life of us working really hard to try to earn this saintly identity. It's a life lived expressing it. Expressing it. You know, as I look back at my own life, Man, I, I've spent most of my life, this is as a Christian, trying to get something that I already had. There's a quote in this, uh, the book, The Cure, that d- nails it. It says, this is the cruel joke we play on ourselves. To bluff and pretend we are righteous, secretly knowing we aren't only to eventually, eventually discover we actually were all along. We don't have to try to obtain and try to get something that we do not yet have. It's about learning about this new Christ-fused, Christ-in-me identity and then living our lives expressing that. So these are just two barriers to being real. It's not trusting my once-for-all forgiveness and not trusting my new Christ-fused identity. Those are the barriers. Now I want to just briefly hit, what is the benefit? What's the benefit of being real? And I truly believe that when these truths sink in, something beautiful happens in our relationships. Something beautiful happens. We become, when we become convinced of the safety that we have and the security that we have in Christ, when those things, when they, we are convinced of that, it, we, we are given permission to live life without the mask. I can be real because at the deepest part of who I am, I am safe and I am secure. And I really, when you really think about it, I don't want, I don't need to hide and I don't actually really want to. There's so much in me. I've got Christ in me longing to express himself through me. If I fight against that, I'm fighting against my own nature. I'm fighting against Christ, the expression of Jesus. So we realize we don't need or even want to hide, and we get to step into God's intentions for our lives. And what is his intention for us? I love what 1 John 3.23 says. It says, and this is his command to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. God's intention, his agenda for us is that we believe and we trust in his Son who has forgiven us. He's made us new. He's now living in us and is longing to express his life through us, that we believe and that we love one another. And this is where we begin to experience the benefits of being real. Where we begin to be able to give and receive love. Give and receive protection from one another. Safety. Affirmation. John mentioned it last week. He said that love, I love this definition, super concise. of just love. When we think about love, what is love? Love is the process of meeting needs. Love is the process of meeting needs. So the question is, how are we going to be able to actually love one another like we are called to? 
if we're so obsessed with keeping up appearances and pretending and bluffing that we have it all together, pretending that we have no need. You know that the stronger, more put together, more capable and self-sufficient that you and I present ourselves to be, the harder it is to receive the love of people. Imagine this, what if, what if the people around you, maybe in this room, the people around you in your, in your families, your friends, your neighborhood, your networks, like your, your life group, your Bible study, what if the people around you, God has placed those people into your life? What if they are just waiting for the opportunity to love you? If I don't trust others with who I am, it doesn't matter how much you love me. Like, it doesn't matter how much you love me. Like, you won't be able to. You won't be able to, because as John mentioned last week, I love that. He's like, you can admire me, you can respect me, you can look up to me, but you will not be able to love me because I am not allowing myself to be loved. Love is the process of meeting needs. Again, what if there were people that God has placed around you they're standing by to love you, to affirm you, to protect you. So you experience Christ loving you through them. I recently got together with a friend. We, he lives out of, out of town, out of state, and when he comes to town, we always find a way to get together. And I, I have to be honest, at times, I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, okay, oh, here we go. I'm going to go hang out. And here's the thing, here's the thing. He's He's one of those guys that is, he's brilliant, he's extremely opinionated, and completely self-assured. I have a real hard time with people like that. I know that I can do that too at times. But it's, it's so hard because we'll spend time together, and it's just like, dude, like, what are we doing? I feel like we're just, we're not connecting. I'm, I'm, and I don't feel like I've ever been let in. And so our relationship is just based on a, a long past of knowing each other, some common interests, but there's no heart accessibility. So he hits me up when he's in town. I'm like, all right. I, I, honestly, I drove to go meet him, and I was praying on my way there. I was like, God, like, just, I don't even know. I don't know what to pray for here. Uh, I just, I really, maybe that there would be a breakthrough. Give me patience. Give me patience, that's what I need, just to, to be able to, to, to love him and look for ways to encourage. Okay, okay. I don't even really remember what I prayed. So we spent a couple hours together, and literally on the walk out at the end, we walked together to the parking lot. We're kind of saying goodbye, and it's at that moment, all of a sudden, he's like, dude, hold on, before you go, okay, this is embarrassing, um, but I just feel like I need to, like, ask you something. I just need to tell you something. And he goes on to share with me this, this thing, and the details of it aren't even important, but he goes on to talk about like these, these kind of doubts and struggles with faith and different things. These are all things that he's, he's supposed to have figured out. He's kind of positioned himself as like, I know what I'm talking about here, but he all of a sudden is like, I don't really know what I'm doing. What, what do you, and I'm like, at the end of it, I was like, I don't even know what you said, but I love you. <laughs> I was like, dude, you never let me in. I told him. My bro, let's just put aside those details really quick. I have to just tell you, 
you just let me, you let me have a piece of your heart just now, and I gotta say, I love you even more. And it wasn't a, oh man, that's your struggle? Ah, uh, forget that. Okay, dude. No, it, was, it wasn't that he was loved less in the telling of it, but he was loved more, because there was more of him to love. And I'm like, I drove away from that with just like, God, thank you so much. That was so encouraging. I called a friend. I'm like, dude, it was so rad. I loved it. Was, and I cannot wait to actually get, to back, get together with him. And I, had, I thought to myself, man, if that is true for him, that has to be true for me too. I want to take that step. Let people in to receive love, to, re- to receive grace. That's my heart. And my heart is that we would do that together. That we, as a church family, we would dare to believe our once-for-all forgiveness, our new Christ-fused, Christ-in-me identity, and that we would courageously begin to allow others, allow ourselves to be real with others, to be known, to be loved, to be protected by each other. Let me close with this story. I've read the story before, but I just thought it was an appropriate way to land the plane for this morning. So you might be familiar with it, but a group of friends traveling through Europe were surprised by a stretch of neighborhood in the Netherlands. It was almost dusk, but every home had lights on inside and appeared to have no curtains. You could see through their entire home. What would cause families to do this? A local explained, well, during the war, they were forced to shut their drapes and turn off their lights to avoid becoming targets of the enemy bombers. And they lived that way in fear and in hiding. It was just a way of life. You stayed quiet and let no one see you. And one day at the end of the war, they all agreed to never live that way again. Now it's hard to locate a drape shop in the entire country. What a beautiful picture of our redeemed lives in Christ. Many of us held up for years, draped behind the fear and shame. How bravely alive to say, no more, no more. I will live open, true, and free. There may be danger, but I will not live my life unknown. No more drapes. Sikos, we, we are in Christ fully and finally forever forgiven. We have a new, radically new core, true identity, united and fused to Jesus. And so may we allow that these truths this morning, we, may we allow these truths to free us, to fuel us, to go and to live, to be real with one another, giving and receiving love and protection. No more hiding. No more drapes. Father, that is, that, that is, God, yes, please, Lord, more of that truth. Set us free, God, to experience grace. The grace that you have given us doesn't just save us a seat and reserve a ticket for us in heaven. It is a, it's a, a way of life here and now in this world. 
broken, as messy as it is, is meant to be the fuel to propel us, God, and to trust you and to trust others with ourselves. May seek us be increasingly known as that safe place. The safe place for the messy, the safe place for the broken, the safe place for the people who do not have it all figured out. Safe place for all of us. And by and through that, God, may your finished work, your blood, your body, the, everything that you accomplished for us, may that be put on display that people would revel in all that you have done. We look, we're so thankful for that and look forward to seeing more of that here. Praise in your name.